Paul and Barnabas had a very unusual experience in Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe in Acts chapter 14, when first they were worshipped as gods, then later they were severely persecuted for sharing the gospel. Dr. John Whitcomb details lessons we can learn from ministry today from the record we find of this unique episode as Luke recorded it for us. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and this is Encounter God's Truth, bringing you timeless truths for changing times from Whitcomb Ministries. Dr. Whitcomb taught the Bible faithfully for almost seven decades, and his influence continues for the sake of biblical truth on this program and through continuous broadcasting at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. Dr. Whitcomb took six years to go through the Book of Acts at the Independent Fundamental Bible Conference held at Middletown Bible Church in Middletown, Connecticut. And we thank them for allowing us to bring it to you here on the radio and the Internet. Find a free commentary that our speaker co-authored with Pastor George Zeller of Middletown Bible Church on the Book of Acts when you go to whitcombministries.org. This ongoing series from the Book of Acts is called Acts Witness of the Early Church, and we're currently in Volume 5. So take your Bible now and join us at Acts 14, if you would. Here's Dr. John Whitcomb. What determines the genuineness of the messenger is not just the signs and wonders. See, because the modern signs and wonders movement today can be very deceptive. As you look on a platform of thousands of people, it looks like the so-called miracle worker up there is really performing miracles. You can't at first glance be sure what's going on up there. I mean, magicians can really deceive people. The thing that determines whether he's genuine is not the sign miracles, but the what? The message he gives, you see? And that's why the Lord Jesus, who performed genuine sign miracles, was crucified because they said, your message is wrong, and therefore your miracles are from Satan, and so are you. That's what they're saying here. That's what the Jews are saying to the Gentiles. These miracles that these men are performing are not from God. They're from Satan because their message is wrong, They're telling you to abandon the law of Moses and to believe in Jesus of Nazareth, whom our leaders crucified. That's what this means. Okay? Verse 5. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. Uh Uh-oh. There is the time to flee. Are you ready? Verse 6, they were aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and unto the region that lieth around them. Now, a hundred years ago, a great church historian by the name of Sir William Ramsey, who decided, I'm going to find out for myself, if even it takes me years, I'm going to go through this whole region and see if archaeology has confirmed what Luke said about these cities. And you know what he discovered? That Lystra and Derbe were only part of that province of Lycaonia between 37 A.D. and 72 A.D., and Luke was absolutely correct. And he said, I'm overwhelmed by the historical accuracy, the precision geographically and chronologically of the book of Acts written by Luke. And I say, well, Lord, that thank you for people like that who uh, have helped us to see the background, the situation that Luke describes here in this book. Okay? Now, verse 7, they preached the gospel. They preached the gospel. In just a few moments, friends, we're going to say, well, did they really preach the gospel? We're going to see something that's going to be a problem to us here, okay, in their ministry, in this place, at Lystra. All right, now watch what happens. 
Verse 8. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked three different ways of saying the man is hope, helpless and hopeless physically. Okay, you get the message? Like he's in bad shape, okay? The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving he had faith to be healed. Now that's interesting. Just like in the book of Acts chapter 3, and like Acts 9, where Aeneas was healed through Peter, they had faith to be healed. Now, did you know there were cases where men were healed by Jesus who didn't have any faith? Uh, let me name one. Lazarus. Do you have enough faith in there to come out of that tomb? <laughs> or how about the ten lepers, only one of whom came back and said thank you, which seems to suggest that only one of them really believed in him. Can't prove that. That is implied. I mean, you go through the, the Gospels and thousands of people were healed. Tens of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. How many of them were genuine believers, folks? Interesting. But this man believed in what? In the gospel that he heard. Okay, now, so Paul and Barnabas are preaching the gospel. Keep that in mind. One man heard it and believed it. And on that basis, of course, Paul was able to say, Stand upright in thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, In the speech of, the, of Lycaonia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they call Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius or Mercury because he was the chief speaker. Stop right there. Do you know, friends, that uh, most of our planets that uh, circle the sun with us are named after pagan gods? I would like to start a movement beginning in Middletown, Connecticut to have those names changed. Mercury, the messenger god. Venus, the god of love, thank you. Mars, the god of war. Jupiter, the greatest god. Saturn, and on and on and on. And I say, well, I just, I don't want to live in a solar system like that. <laughs> but that's right, Jupiter, the, great, the greatest of the gods. That's why the biggest of the planets is named Jupiter. Okay. And uh, the Greek name for Jupiter is Zeus. That's what they actually said here. Zeus, okay? And the messenger god, Mercury, the Greek name was uh, Hermes. So they, they named uh, Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercury because Paul was the chief speaker. Now, you see, there was something here that's interesting. Uh, Barnabas looked dignified. He didn't say much. He just stood in the background. And, and Paul did all the speaking, all the speaking, the communicating. So they said, that's it. These are two gods, and, the, and Mercury, the one who's doing the speaking, is uh, that particular god that's come to us. Now, you know, it's like in the Old Testament. There was Aaron and there was Moses, okay? Which of those two was the chief speaker? Aaron, see? But behind Aaron was the, the really important person who didn't do as much speaking because he claimed, I can't speak much, I, I'm just not eloquent. And that was Moses. Okay? Now, in God's plan of the ages, it's fascinating to me that there's God the Father, whom we've never seen, nor ever will. And there's God the Son, who is the chief speaker. 
He's the Logos, the communicator of the mind of God to the mind of man, okay? I say, well, this is interesting, very interesting. But you know, behind what they were saying to those two men, you men are gods that have come to visit us. Let let me read you what, what this is based on. Fifty years before Paul and Barnabas arrived in this region, there was a certain Roman writer, historian, a writer, who said something fascinating happened here. Listen, Ovid was the Roman writer in a book he wrote called Metamorphoses, and he told an ancient legend that may have been well known in southern Galatia here and may in good part explain the wily emotional response of the people of Paul and Barnabas. According to the legend, Zeus and Hermes once came to the Phrygian hill country, disguised as mortals, seeking lodging. Though they asked at a thousand homes, none took them in. Finally, at a humble cottage of straw and reeds, an elderly couple, Philemon and his wife, Baucus, freely welcomed them with a banquet that strained their poor resources. In appreciation, the gods transformed the cottage into a temple with a golden roof and marble columns. Philemon and Baucus, they appointed priest and priestess of the temple, who, instead of dying, became an oak and a linden tree. As for the inhospitable people... The gods destroyed their houses, and just where in the Phrygian hill country this was supposed to have taken place, Ovid does not say. But it appears that seeing the healing of the crippled man and remembering the legend, the people of Lystra believed that Zeus and Hermes had returned and wanted to pay them homage, homage lest they incur the gods' wrath. Amazing. Did you know, friends, there are hundreds of things that have come to light from ancient historical records and archaeological discoveries that shed significant light on biblical events. Now, you don't have to know those things to be saved or sanctified. (laughs) But what do they do? They illuminate the text of Scripture amazingly to show what may have been the reasons for certain things that God tells us really happened at various times and places. Okay? The gods who come down to us in the likeness of men... So the priest of Jupiter, verse 13, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands into the gates and would have done sacrifice with the sacrifice of the gods. Now, when the apostles, Barnabas and Saul, heard of it, I mean, of course, they didn't understand this language. They really didn't know what they were saying or what was happening. But when they found out, they were horrified. They rent their clothes, ran out among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities to the living God. Now, folks, stop there a minute. What would have happened if they hadn't protested publicly and violently? Remember what happened to a certain king called Herod at the end of chapter 12? As the people said, your speech, sir, was absolutely spectacular. In fact, it wasn't the voice of a man, but of God. And for a moment, he must have thought, yes, God killed him. If anyone, don't worry about this, it probably won't happen this week. If anyone comes to you and say, you know what? You're so magnificent. You're so perfect. You're so eloquent. You're so brilliant. You must be divine. What are you supposed to do? Say, thank you. I just appreciate that. And then drop dead. (laughs) No. (laughs) 
I wouldn't. I don't think that is really a serious threat right now to us. But friends, the point is obvious, is it not? Not just because Paul and Barnabas were Jews, they were horrified at taking any of the glory of God. May we at least learn something about this. Never assume to yourself anything that belongs to God. I read an account once recently of a preacher who uh, really did preach a powerful message and stepped down from the pulpit and someone came up to the preacher and said, that was a marvelous message. The preacher said, I know the devil just told me the same thing. Careful. Give God the glory for what came from him. Okay? They were terrified. Here these people are going to offer sacrifices to them as gods. And then they gave a speech. Now here's the problem in this chapter. There isn't one word in their message that sounds like the gospel. Not one. Now listen, see if you can, if you can help me out here. You ready? Look what they said to those people. Verse 15, you should turn from these vanities to the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. I mean, that's Exodus 20:11. He didn't quote the reference because they never heard of Exodus anyway, never heard of Moses, never heard of the Old Testament. He's giving what? Basic fundamental truths from the Old Testament about God, starting with what? his uniqueness as the creator of all things. And that's a wonderful place to start, by the way, in any systematic presentation of the living God today. He created the world, but don't stop there. That is essential truth, but it's not what? Sufficient. You start there. You don't stop there. Because we have a huge movement now spreading around the world. I should revise that word huge. A significant movement spreading around the world called intelligent design. Many beautifully written books proving what? The universe, the solar system, planet Earth, living things could never have gotten here by chance. They had to be designed by an intelligent being. You say, amen. But they'll never tell you who he is. That is the colossal failure of the intelligent design movement. They just want to what? defeat evolutionism on a horizontal level of what? Intellectualism, rationalism, and they can prove these things very easily. I mean, it's the simplest thing you can imagine is to what? Publicly and scientifically and logically defeat evolutionism, materialism, humanism. See, very easily done. But it's insufficient. You also have to believe what God says about how the world was created and by whom it was created and his name is Jesus Christ, the Lord, through whom all things were created. And then you begin to prepare for the message that the creator, the great creator, became our savior. See, you have to finish with him or there's no gospel. But Paul didn't finish. See here? He then begins in, into the providence of God, carefully, see, the power of God, he's the creator, verse 15, now, his mercy, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways, and his providence, verse 17, nevertheless he left not himself without witness, and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness, and with these sayings scarce restrained they the people that had not done sacrifice, that they had not done sacrifice to them. Now, you say, well, where's the gospel? 
and here's my opinion. Just as we'll see in Acts 17, a little bit later, the gospel had been preached so faithfully, so clearly. I mean, they apparently, I mean, I don't understand how this all happened through some interpreter or something. I mean, they couldn't speak their language. They were able to communicate through some interpreter. And they won some disciples to the Lord in the process of preaching the gospel who probably helped them interpret the message to the people because you see what the next verse says. Verse 19, there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul drew him out, supposing him to be dead, howbeit as the disciples stood around him. He had disciples already. You can't have a disciple unless you preach the gospel, right? They just didn't come from nowhere. You have to understand, friends, here's the point. The book of Acts is very condensed. And, and Luke just assumes you know that they were there long enough to make the gospel known clearly enough so that some people could be saved and become disciples and taught and get the message out to the people in their own language so they could understand. And this sermon is just a brief summary of some of the things Paul said, but he must have made clear to them somewhere or other sooner or later in this whole confrontation at Iconium who Jesus really was and what he really did. I think you have to assume that, okay? Oh, my, what, what a response he got, though. Oh, dear friends, look at verse 19. There came thither Jews from where? Antioch of Pisidia. And where else? Iconium. And came down here to Lystra and persuaded the people to stone him to death. They dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. I, you know why I think they thought he was dead? Because I think he was. They killed him. Now, Paul tells us, you know, in his letter to the Corinthians, uh, that he was stoned three times. Three t this is one of them. He mentions this later to Timothy. The fickle crowd at one minute thinking they're gods, and the next minute thinking that they have been totally deceived by false teaching. So fickle, so changeable. Well, that was that way with Jesus, wasn't it? Uh, they were willing to, at the, you know, the triumphal entry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and in the next moment, as it were, crucify him. See, incredible, fickle, changeable, shallow, unthinking mob. Howbeit, praise the Lord, as the disciples, whoever they were, stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city of all places to go where he just, you know, been stoned inside the city he stoned not outside like Stephen came into the city and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby now friends I just say well Lord I can't I can't imagine a ministry so fraught with terror and horror and torment and suffering for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus but believe it or not even in Iconium there ended up being what disciples, and I think we're going to find the name of them, one of them later. Can I give you a hint? Timothy. Of all the places he ever preached, of all the disciples God ever gave him, of this man he could say what? I have no man like-minded who will care for all your estate, as he wrote to the Philippians. So some things 
you might even say, friends, in the light of this, are worth the price in the plan and purpose of God. The greatest of disciples Paul ever had apparently came to the Lord on this occasion. Verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city, that is to Derby, which is another 60 miles down the Sebastian Way, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now here's a hard verse to handle. You understand they're working their way back again. Okay, that's, that's good mission policy, isn't it? Follow-up, confirmation. Just don't preach the gospel and leave forever. I mean, just go back, go back, go back. The follow-up, okay, the encouragement, further teaching, instruction, admonition. I mean, even in spite of this, what happens? They're going to be led astray by Judaizers, and he has to blast them with the letter to the Galatians, you see. So this is not meaningless movement here. But here, here's a problem. Here's a problem. Verse 22. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that, what? Watch it. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. So I guess we're now post-tribulationists, right, Dr. Houghton? Right. <laughs> See, we, we must go through the tribulation to enter the kingdom, right? <laughs> you, do you catch the problem here? Well, uh, thankfully, friends, it doesn't say the tribulation. It means tribulation as such. And Jesus said so. In this world, you shall have much what? Tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, that's the point. It's not the tribulation, the 70th and last week of Daniel, which will be a time such as never was, no shall be, of horrors. It's that this is characteristic of this church age entirely. From the very beginning, I, I am assured, to the very end. And the thing that's hard for American Christians to fathom, I think, don't you, in this verse is, well, we don't have much tribulation. Nobody's attacking us. They in terms of what, stoning us to death? I mean, yes, attacking us in one way or the other. You understand in our public schools, what we believe is ridiculed if, and denied, so forth. But I mean, I'm talking about this kind of persecution. And uh, churches around the world which are suffering for Christ are growing rapidly in Africa, Asia, Latin America. I mean, what about China where... In 1950, all the missionaries were thrown out, all of them, 1950, leaving maybe a million Chinese Christians. Thirty years later, the door opened and somebody peeked in and saw millions of Christians now. And today it's estimated there are 90 million Christians in China. In many cases, threatened, persecuted, killed for their faith. So I say, Lord... I just, I want to be biblical. Let's pray for persecution here. Do I hear an amen? <laughs> but that's right, friends. That is God's plan for the church age. What? Persecution. See? Resistance to the gospel. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Not to be sought after or provoked but to be expected and anticipated, and don't be shocked when it happens, because God says that's the way it will be. It's supposed to be. Will be. 
I say, Lord, I think I got a message here. Thank you. Help me to be prepared to do what's right for your glory, not to expect praise, you know, and a great crowd of people. Beware if all men speak well of you, which doesn't mean go around to try to provoke people to speak evil of you. But friends, that's the point that I think Paul and Barnabas were making to these dear people. Expect problems because Satan is still the god of this world even though he's been judicially defeated on the cross. He still is at work and God has a plan. And I say thank you, Lord, for walking us through this great first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas 1,900 years ago as step one to reach us here, yes, in New England, USA, 21st century AD. Thank you now, Father, for your word. Help us to understand what you meant by what you said and apply it appropriately to our situation, I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Bible teaching of Dr. John Whitcomb today on Encounter God's Truth, a series called Acts Witness of the Early Church. To see the latest from this radio ministry, follow our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Whitcomb Ministries. We rejoice in this opportunity to keep Dr. Whitcomb's teaching legacy alive. We believe that it's so important to continue this ministry during these perilous times in which the Lord has placed us. I'm Wayne Shepherd, reminding you that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. And we trust that He will use it to work in your heart, mind, and life today.